You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. I'm Jim Friend. Well, welcome back, and thanks for downloading our podcast today. I just want to offer a couple of quick words, and then we'll get to our very impressive guest today. Just one more reminder that we're offering a webinar this Wednesday, December 11th at 2 p.m. Eastern on how to get ready for a parish capital campaign. And if you'd like to join us, it's easy. Just visit our homepage at advancingourchurch.com and you'll find more information and a link to register. It's that simple. I've assembled a great panel of experts and we're going to walk you through some things to consider, maybe some do's and don'ts, and we'll include some time for questions and discussion. So I hope you'll join us. So this is the second week of Advent, and this past weekend we heard the story of John the Baptist calling out the Pharisees and the Sadducees as a brood of vipers. Boy, John had a way of calling a spade a spade, didn't he? But in a simple way, this gospel reminds us that we're called to humility in all that we do in service to the church, and that that is one of the keys to our getting into heaven. And I can't think of a better segue to talk about the great service that we offer to the world with great humility than through Catholic Charities. A few years ago, I offered a few words at a Catholic Charities Gala, and I used the famous line, we don't serve others because they are Catholic, we do so because we are Catholic. Now, I can't take credit for that line, but I think it encapsulates this week's gospel and our show and the attitude of service that John the Baptist was calling us to through our service to one another. Now, with that said, let's get to work. This week, we visit with Brian Corbin. Brian is the Executive Vice President of Member Services for Catholic Charities USA, and he has a long and distinguished background with Catholic Charities, which I'll post on our website. But here's just a few highlights. Brian previously served as Senior Vice President of Social Policy for Catholic Charities USA, but before he came to these national positions, he served as the Executive Director for Catholic Charities in the Diocese of Youngstown, Ohio, where he served for many years and in a variety of positions. In these roles, he was responsible for providing leadership for the health and social ministries of the church and creating opportunities for church and community leaders to understand and be formed in Catholic social doctrine, while helping persons and institutions to live out the corporal works of mercy. Brian also served as the secretary of the National Board of Trustees of Catholic Charities USA, and he chaired the National Advisory Council of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. I think you're going to learn a lot about Catholic Charities today, but more importantly, the Catholic Church's service to so many people around the world. And so, without further ado, here is Brian Corbin. Well, Brian, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you here today. Great, Jim. Thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate your invitation. So obviously, it goes without saying Catholic Charities' important, Catholic Charities USA's importance uh, as in the church today and uh, such a tremendous impact that you make around the country and around the world. Uh, in 2018, in fact, the Chronicle of Philanthropy ranked Catholic Charities as the 12th largest nonprofit in the U.S. and $4.4 billion of revenue and total support and about $879 million in private support, which is tremendous. Can you give us a sense of the scope of the national organization, how many member agencies, the services you offer, et cetera? Surely. Thank you very much for asking. Uh, so, yes. So, uh, like you said, the Chronicle ranked us the 13th, uh, the 12th, uh, compared to uh, many other universities and, no- and other nonprofits. And the Nonprofit Times just rated us uh, third. Uh, and they have a different calculus. But um, so it depends on what they're looking at. But that's, we're just honored sure. to be part of that larger group, knowing that the Catholic Charities has been around for over 100 years as a national movement. Um, so our members... Um, Jim, are diocesan Catholic Charities agencies. For 27 years, I was a principal diocesan director in Catholic Charities of Youngstown, Ohio. So we were the member agency. So there are 167 principal diocesan agencies in the United States, and there are members. And they have may have multiple corporations. Uh, so we have over 3,000 corporations, separately incorporated bodies that do certain tasks within the church's ministry of social welfare, housing, and development. And uh, uh, that they all amount to about 1,500 different programs around the country. So that's our, we are in every single state in the U.S., plus our five territories. 
So we cover basically every zip code in the United States of America. So we, we echo dioceses. So as you know, a diocese, every part of the land is part of the, has a diocese. So that's our, that's our footprint. Tremendous. And Brian, like you said, you joined Catholic Charities uh, USA, the national organization, uh, not, not too long ago, maybe five years ago. But you, had a, you have a 27-year history uh, with Catholic Charities in the Diocese of, of Youngstown in, in Ohio. Uh, so I, I would imagine that obviously that prepared you for this particular role that you're in now quite a bit. Sure. So, yeah. So I was very fortunate um, when I applied back in 1987 to be a director of a diocesan agency. So back then, and so Youngstown, Ohio was the place where I spent many years and served three bishops um, and did a lot of work in terms of both services and advocacy and convening church and other people uh, to help along with me. Um, and did a lot of ministries from HIV AIDS to affordable housing, to senior housing, to nutrition services, to senior services, to child welfare, to foster care, to uh, payee ships, to um, um, adults who needed sponsors because they needed protective services because they had no family member. So a full range of things. So being a local director for 27 years of a diocese certainly let me know the depth and the breadth of Catholic Charities. Uh, the good part of that, uh, Jim, was because we're part of a network. So when I had when I started my first affordable housing project, I knew I wasn't by myself. It was daunting, don't get me wrong. Sure. But I knew that I could call other Catholic Charities agencies in the country who had already done affordable housing. I'm just using that as one example, uh, adoption, foster care, or whatever it is. And so, and they proudly and, ex and excitedly offered me all their help and offered to hold my hand and to help me get through my first project. And then, then in turn, it's like a, it's a push forward, pay forward. I had to help another diocesan director in another part of the country who wanted to do affordable housing. So it's this kind of way of kind of how we use our network. That's why I'm trying to use the story to say our network is really knowing that we have these pra incredible practitioners in every single state, every single diocese who are doing amazing things. And we try to help each other and learn best practices, share with each other and find new ways and creative ways together. Uh, to serve people in need because needs change and we're always trying to find new ways of doing things, but knowing other people have tried before. So we tap into that energy. It's a great way to be part of a ministry of the church. And and I, I've heard this uh, and experienced it myself, Brian, as a former diocesan development director. That's one of the beauties of working, I think, at this at that level at a diocesan position because there are other folks around the country who you can tap into when you have that role uh, and it only helps to enhance their efforts. It helps your efforts, whether you're in Catholic education, Catholic charities, diocesan development. Um, it does create a nice support network being part of the, the global Catholic church. Exactly. And it, and also uh, simultaneously being Catholic charities, even though I had several, when I was in Young, I'll speak about my example in Youngstown, I had seven different companies, corporations, right. um, but knowing that we were all connected to the church. So we interacted very much with the Catholic schools, with Catholic religious education, with liturgy office, with uh, deacon formation, with clergy formation, with women, men religious. So it added a whole dimension of being part of the church to tap into incredibly gifted people at the local level to help us continue the mission of the church in the name of charity, but knowing that we're connected to the larger part of, of celebrating the Eucharist and celebrating sacraments and proclaiming the good news. So, Brian, uh, what are some of the major issues that the national organization is dealing with today? What are you hearing out in the field? Sure. So uh, with that question in mind, back in uh, 2016, when Sister Donna Markham um, became the president of Catholic Charities USA, we engaged in a strategic priority process asking that question, Jim, what's really going on in the communities? Where do we need to be focused and what do we need to do? So through a whole process of working with all of our 167 diocesan directors and member and staff and boards, um, seven major things really came to the top that we're really working on. So I'll, you can ask me more, but let me just give you all seven first. And if you want to probe sure. more, we can. So the first one is that one thing we noticed in every single diocese is everyone's struggling with affordable housing throughout the country. So affordable housing became a major is a major strategic priority. Then we also saw that uh, health care, integrated health, behavioral health, people who are, who need help with mental health and um, or just wellness issues. We saw that was a major issue that everyone was, all of our agency said is a real need. Uh, also related to that is nutrition. 
we saw a lot of food insecurity or sometimes people just having a hard time making the monthly food intake. So food and nutrition became, has become a major issue. A third major block of, of needs that we saw was related to immigration and refugee resettlement. So as many know that are maybe listening to this podcast, you know, here in the United States were a nation of immigrants, and it was Catholic Charities Agencies or whatever it was named back in the 1890s in your diocese or 1870s in your diocese, Catholic Social Welfare, Catholic Social Bureau. We were there bringing in immigrants and refugees, and then that has been our history. And so we've continued to work in that ministry and saw that there would be some new new it, it, issues emerging that we had to be on top of. So that's a third major block of ideas at services of ministries. A fourth area uh, related to um, disasters and um, a growing number of from wildfires to hurricanes to tornadoes. And, you know, of course, that's not new, but just in terms of frequency and location and some areas get hit harder than others, we knew that we had to uh, be um, – in the forefront of reacting to disasters that are pre- issues of prevention and then response and then resiliency and long-term reconstruction. So Katrina was a moment. We had always been involved in disasters for many, 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 many decades. But Katrina in New Orleans, where our Catholic Charities Agency literally became a first responder, and that changed the way we did things and the way we related to FEMA. And since Katrina, we have seen ourselves and have been recognized by other major institutions in the government and in the civil society as a major actor in prevention and response and long-term reconstruction and then helping our institutions become resilient. So disaster operations, really important. A fifth area that we've really noticed that we needed some time on is um, how do we help many of our clients who are having a hard time getting jobs or are in the marginal economy how can we help them build enterprises or how can we find a way to use our Catholic Charities Agencies to build businesses called social enterprises and maybe hire our, our clients and get them a step forward um, and use their skill set to produce products or services. So we've been heavily engaged in how our agencies can create economic opportunities that's just not working in the agency as a as a caseworker, but literally sponsoring people doing creative things from uh, interpretation services to making scarves, just to into making food products, just to give an example. A fifth area that we were really concerned about was our whole issue on leadership development and Catholic identity. So again, always reminding ourselves of who we are, what's our connection to the church. There's always new staff people, always new boards, always new bishops. How do we constantly engage in our relationship to the greater church, both locally and globally? But how then do we engage staff, volunteers, and board members in understanding our Catholic identity? And then we have 55,000 staff people in Catholic churches throughout the country. How do we do some leadership development? How do we help them grow? And how do we help them maybe go f- learn from one place to an, uh, learn some place and then move to another diocese and they can do something more? So that, that kind of networking. Then our final major area um, is in advocacy and social policy. How can we take everything I just said, everything we've learned about everything I have just talked about, and make that um, what's going on at local, state, and federal levels, and how can we use the voice of the church to um, promote positive legislation as well as helping in the regulatory world. Once the legislation's passed, regu- reg- once the laws are passed, regulations kick into effect, which directly impact our agencies on how to do service. And how can we be of help to understanding how that regulatory world helps us and make some changes as necessary. So those are the seven areas, affordable housing, integrated health and nutrition, immigration, refugees, disaster services, social ventures, Catholic leadership development and identity and advocacy and social policy. It's obviously a very comprehensive approach, Brian. Uh, a lot a lot of meat on the bone there to, to get into. One of the, uh, I'm, I'm sure one of the, the, the areas that a lot of folks have heard of and uh, can relate to because you see it on the TV is, is this disaster relief. And you mentioned uh, in your comments there that uh, Katrina really changed the way you did things. Can you say more about that? Yeah. So back in, 2000, in 2005, six when Katrina helped hit um, our Catholic Charities Agency in New Orleans and in Baton Rouge um, really worked hard with first responders. That's the EMTs, the police, the ambulance people, the 
uh, military just to kind of help stabilize and get people to a safe place. And that hadn't been really any of our work. We had been mostly small disasters helping build a house, you know, years later, but that just changed the way we saw it. And FEMA recognized Catholic charities at that point is like, wow, we have an important institution that we've been working with. We know each other. But at that point, uh, FEMA worked with us uh, for a major contract for over seven years or so that we were part of their faith-based response network. So we take we took a leadership role for many years with the federal government. So when a disaster occurred in any place in the country, we helped mobilize Catholic charities and partner agencies, the Mennonites, the Lutherans, the Jewish community, the Islamic community, and we all worked together. So, But we were one of the lead agencies of the faith-based community of helping um, help people in a disaster, help them in the immediate recovery. But most of us, especially in the religious sector, are there. We are have been there and are there. Think of a parish. It's not going anywhere. Catholic Charities locally is not going anywhere. We're there. And that's what FEMA saw, that we had rooted institutions. So it was important. How can we work together? So we began to think differently here in Catholic, our Catholic Charities agencies in the country and here at the National Head Office. Um, how can we be part of that leadership team when a disaster happens? Um, we're there right at that first moment uh, to help, to partner with all our friends in the nonprofit world and to partner with local government. But then we know that in reconstruction, it takes five to 10 years sometimes, and we're sure. there to help. So that's that's been a major re- rethinking of what we're doing. Um, as a matter of fact, I was just in Puerto Rico very recently. Uh, celebrating their 50th anniversary of Catholic Charities on the island. But as you remember in Maria, they got devastated and we raised a lot of money. Uh, We were uh, Catholics and others of goodwill uh, contributed over nearly $5 million uh, to Catholic Charities that we provided directly to Puerto Rico, very earmarked toward them specifically. And they've been working very hard to help people rebuild their homes to put roofs on their house, to stabilize. A lot of trauma has occurred. I saw, I went to visit a couple programs where they're helping people going through trauma still two years out. And even though I saw some great recovery work being done, I was also, because Catholic Charities is in the toughest neighborhoods in any part of the world, uh, Catholic Charities in Puerto Rico was in some pretty tough neighborhoods that had been neglected anyway. And Catholic Charities is right there. And when we arrived, everyone in the neighborhood knew who Catholic Charities was. And even though there was still a lot of work to do, it was just good to see that the church was a trusted partner. People trusted Father Enrique, who was Catholic Charities' face in the island. And when we got there and saw how people responded, that we are a trusted institution because of the church. And we still have a long ways to go. So I just, just, I literally just got back from Puerto Rico a couple of days ago and just saw this incredible uh, good news, but also a lot more work to go. Brian, uh, folks probably don't necessarily always realize how what an issue that uh, homelessness is uh, in today's society. Um, and so how, tell us a little bit about how Catholic Charities is trying to end chronic homelessness. Yes. Yeah, so many of our agencies have taken steps to work with uh, homeless populations for uh, and finding ways to build affordable housing or work with agencies that are. But we are working right now with five pilot cities, five Catholic Charities agencies um, are really trying to look at dealing with those people who are very chronically in homeless situation. They may have an addiction problem. They may have a mental health problem. They may have both as well as a housing issue. So we're working right now with Catholic Charities in Detroit, Michigan, Catholic Charities in St. Louis, Catholic Charities of Southern Nevada, which is Las Vegas, Catholic Charities of Portland, Oregon, and Catholic Charities of Eastern Washington, which is Spokane. Uh, And those are five cities that we're really trying to look at how can we uh, reduce chronic homelessness by 20%. Um, And and we're trying to work very closely with our Catholic health partners, our Catholic health systems, who have an aligned ministry, a a shared ministry and shared goals of how to help them also reduce rates of homeless persons using their emergency room, which many may know is a very expensive form of medicine and may not be the most appropriate form of medicine. So how can we help clients and hospitals use the most appropriate form of healthcare? And we're trying to then connect all these people with rebuild or building newly 
uh, new construction or rehab of old buildings or rehab of church properties specifically, how can we look at those buildings that we own as a church and rehab them and make them available to persons in that situation, working with Catholic healthcare specifically as best we can. So that's our, our housing initiative right now for homeless, as well as other agencies have done other things from Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis to um, Phoenix, every Cleveland, every city has done something. Every Catholic charity tries to do something in that space. Uh, they may not be building houses. They may not be providing the mental health care, but always trying to connect people. Uh, just recently, uh, Jim, uh, Jeff Bezos of uh, Amazon fame uh, just gave, in the past two years, have given $25 million to five of our agencies. Two were just announced yesterday. So last year, Catholic Charities of Miami, Catholic Charities in Seattle um, and Catholic uh, Charities in New Orleans got $5 million each. And this year, just announced yesterday, Catholic Charities of Spokane, who I just mentioned, got $5 million. And Catholic Charities in Anchorage, Alaska, just got $5 million for their work in wow. homelessness. So it's, it's been great that we've been recognized by – you know, Jeff Bezos of Amazon's fame. Right. Uh, and he just literally goes out and searches the web and see who's doing what and does a little bit of intel, intel and finds and just literally says, calls you up one day and says, I'm giving you five million for your great work. <laughs> and so that's those, a great call to get. Yeah. And so and it's and it's free money to deal with homelessness, but I'm free money, meaning like do what you need to do. Um, it's, you know, in the homeless world. So five of our agencies in the past two years have been recognized for their leadership in homelessness in their cities. So so that's just great news, and we're just thrilled about that. Well, I mean that that brings up a great point. I don't uh, I don't know Jeff Jeff's um, religious background, but I would imagine that there are so many folks who aren't necessarily Catholic, but recognize the good work that's happening in Catholic charities and want to be a part of what you're doing. Exactly, and that's why we exactly. I don't know Mr. Basil's religious affiliation either, but just knowing that. They recognize us is just like you said, knowing that the church is doing something. And I think um, all of our church members ought to be proud of that fact that you know, we we didn't ask for that money. We didn't apply for that money. That was a gift by someone who just isn't – we don't know if he's related to us or not. I don't know. But I think just the recognition that the Catholic Church through its Catholic Charities ministry is in the streets like Pope Francis called us to do. Go in the streets, be field hospitals, help people in the most need, and like the Good Samaritan story – we're like the Good Samaritan itself stopping, but we're also like the innkeeper. Uh, sometimes in that, in that story of the Good Samaritan, we don't always focus on the innkeeper and the inn. That's who we are as well, that we're trying to figure out how to best be the inn. It's beautiful. Um, you know, uh, Brian, with, uh, with the current political climate, we all hear it. It's up and down. <laughs> Certainly it's in the news all the time. But, um, you know, the issue uh, or the challenge, I, I should say, of working uh, with immigration and refugees, the opportunity there to help folks who are seeking a home uh, must be impacted by that uh, current political climate. How has that impacted the the work of your local agencies? Sure. So a couple. Let me let me divide that up in a couple worlds. Okay. So first, sure. let me talk about refugee resettlement. So as I said in the, my uh, very early on, we have been engaged in refugee resettlement, mostly Europeans, uh, for you know for decades. Um, and so we've continued to be that refugee resummit. So there are in the United States, Jim, there are nine very large institutions that deal with refugee resettlement. They work with the State Department, and we're one of those large, one of those nine large institutions, like the Lutherans, Catholic Charities, um, just to give you two examples. So we've been doing. Um, uh, so every year, the State Department. Uh, brings in ex uh, the the Congress or the White House says this is how many people we're going to pay for this is the number we're going at um, and then those nine agencies work with the State Department and we do, they figure out what's the best place to bring people and then a local agency is contacted so uh, Catholic charities may be allocated let's say ten thousand people in one year and we find out where they have relatives or they don't have relatives or there's a linguistic group nearby. And so all of a sudden, they might say, hey, let's uh, this maybe Cleveland might be a good place for them or Cincinnati or maybe it's maybe it's Wichita. So our U.S. Bishops Conference works very closely with us. We try to figure out the best place to bring someone who's been vetted already. It takes 18 months, by the way, to vet a refugee in a refugee camp. So just to know, it takes almost two years to even get to that point. So then Catholic Charities is assigned a certain number of people to take care of with the State Department. And then our 
bishops conference and Catholic chairs work together to find out where's the best place to put this family. Okay. So that's, that's the methodology. So in the past couple of years, um, we have been, the national cap has been around a hundred thousand refugees a year. Um, and so we have built a, 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 you know, we have staff ready to go to help integrate these people back in the into the communities. Well, right now, um, the new cap is 18,000, Jim. Oh, wow. So we've gone from 100,000, technically 110,000 in 217, to 18,000. So just to give us some perspective to people, right. uh, I, th- I did a quick search of the largest high school football stadium in America. And the largest high school football stadium is in McAllen, Texas, and it holds 19,500 people. So you have a high school football stadium with 19,500 people. I know football is big in Texas. I get it. I was a football player too. Um, <laughs> but so that means we're going to bring in 18,000 refugees. There's still room for 15 more hundred people in that football stadium of a country of our size. Very sad. So, and there are about 30 million refugees in the world right now. There are about over 65 million displaced persons, but there are th- nearly 30 million refugees in the world in refugee camps waiting to go to safety. And we're bringing in 18,000. And are, are you, um, I would imagine the Catholic Charities, uh, you said you're involved with in the political climate as well. Is there, are there, are there ways in which folks can get involved with um, petitioning this and, and getting it back up to at least the 100,000 that you used to be able to serve? Sure. I think, I think, you know, honestly, people could certainly write to their congressman and to their, their congressperson, their congressional representative, their senator, and write to the White House and just say, you're just concerned about our refugee policy that you were hoping that, you know, I mean, there's, you know, there's legitimate ways of doing it. And, and around 100,000 seemed to be a place where we had enough capacity to do that. Um, and But dropping it to 18,000 when the world is in such great need of, of placement. Um, so if people want to write to their congressional rep and their senator and the White House and their governor um, and their state mayor and their mayors, because right now the current policy is, is that um, it's still being worked on, Jim, but states and localities can either say we will accept refugees or reject refugees. That's a new policy right now. And so I know I think the senator, the governor of South Dakota, I think the, I think the governor of Utah have all come out that I can think of right off the top of my head, as well as others, I'm sure saying, yeah, we will take refugees. We need refugees. Um, and so even to talk to your local, your local representative in your state, just to make sure that your governor also says, Hey, our state's open to refugees. Um, that would be something that people could do. So that's a whole, what's one area, Jim alone. That's just the refugee resettlement area. The other area is called migrate, good old, just good old migration. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are people who come in, with authority, uh, with proper paperwork, and that's great. And that's a, there's a system in place that was redone in 1986. Um, but like I said, 1986 was the Immigration Control Act. So there's laws rega- regarding in- entry. But because of a whole series of, of, of issues related to uh, immigration law, but also push from other countries, especially Central America, Honduras, El Salvador, uh, Guatemala, uh, where there's some in gr- growing violence and grinding poverty, people have been trying to come to the United States and are been st- and are stopped at the border. So in the last year, Jim, Catholic Charities agencies along the border, McAllen, um, Laredo, El Paso, um, Las Cruces, um, San Antonio, uh, and uh, t- Yuma, Arizona, and Tucson, those are the major entry points, and San Diego and San Bernardino, California. Those Catholic Charities agencies of those cities I just mentioned brought processed over 300,000 migrants from Central America who were came to the border, got arrested, and were processed through um, customs and enforcement. And we worked with them. To, they came to our centers. We helped them to get a shower. We helped them get food. But more importantly, we helped them get to their place of a sponsor. So many, so they don't necessarily stay there, Jim. They move on to their family in New York, in Atlanta, in Spokane, and Chicago, in Maine. And, um, and so we helped them process. Last year alone, Catholic Charities worked with over 300,000 people coming across the border with authority because they were processed by the border patrol and let go to be 
to be part of a system that they had to reappeal appeal. So that has been a huge, a huge, a huge influx of people last year because of that push of violence. Uh, right now, because of remain in, it's called um, remain in Mexico is the aphorism, but the the actual policy is called Migrant Protection Protocols (MPP). Uh, persons who come in from Central America uh, have to first claim asylum in Mexico before they can claim asylum in the United States. And so at this moment, uh, there are people not allowed in until they've gone through that process. And so right now we, we are seeing only about 60 to 80 people coming through Tucson because Tucson has a specific pathway, but all the other parts of the border are closed. And I just heard a report the other day that in El Paso, they are getting maybe 35 people a week through the border, but there are about 13,000 people in Juarez waiting under bridges to be part of the process. So there are some issues now on the Mexican side of the border, where we're working very closely with our partners, Catholic Charities or Caritas in Mexico, helping them uh, figure out how they can serve people along the border on their side as they wait to get in line. And how long um, How long are these folks going to need to wait? I mean, is there a sense of, of uh, an end point or a, 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 a waiting list? Well, there's a kind of an informal waiting list uh, just to see a agent right now. It could take days. It could take weeks. Hmm. Once you even – now, I'm, let me talk about even the 300,000 people that we helped bring in last year legitimately through process. They may not get a hearing uh, right now, the calendar – you may not even get a hearing till 2021. Wow. Because, because the courts, it's not that they've done anything wrong. Uh, the courts, depending on where they end up, where they go, uh, the immigration courts are so backed up. Um, that I think there's 800,000 cases that are in the system right now, and there are only 300 judges, I believe. Um, that's I, I don't know if I have the exact numbers, but that's the, the proportion of the, of the struggle. Um, there is wait time of over two years right now. So we know of cases that have t dockets of 2021. Um, mm -hmm. And so they're living in limbo in the United States uh, for that. These are just the people, those are the 300,000 that we worked with that came in with papers. Um, so we don't know how many people came in without papers. So in the meantime, like you said, they're living under a bridge, they're homeless, um, without services. Um, Especially on the Mexican border side, because they weren't prepared right. for this whatsoever. Um, you know, uh, now when they come to the United States and they're in that process, our Catholic Charities agencies are willing to help them and do help them. So when I was in young, I'll go back to my young sound story just to make it practical. Sure. I have, I had a staff that was, um, I had a full-time staff person that reached out to newcomers. Uh, he was Guatemalan actually, uh, and did some work. And I had a Mex a woman from Mexico who were on my staff who had been here for a long time. They reached out to people, brought him in to the parishes, and we trained some of our priests and some of our pastoral leaders to figure out how to welcome them the best they could and how to help parishes bring people in and make them feel welcome and help them liturgically and spiritually and sacramentally. Uh, engage, but also connected them with healthcare, connected them with social services. And then many of our agencies, and I was one of them in Youngstown, had a legal services uh, where we provided uh, lawyers um, and paralegals to help them go through uh, their, their court system. And we had hundreds of cases as well. But the beauty of it was working with my pastors, with my pastors, with the pastors of the parishes, right. um, working with pastoral leaders, working with the religious ed office, to be honest with you, working with the liturgy office, to be honest with you, was wow. a great way of opening under consciousness. So, I mean, as simple as baptisms, Jim, people coming in with kids or having kids, which is great news. And how do we have appropriate baptism in a church where there's a, a whole group of Germans, but now they have new Guatemalans. And how do you help them do that? And right. it's wonderful to see those old old ethnic immigrant groups that remembered their history, remember where they came from. They were refugees once too. And that whole story of Exodus is repeated again. We were in the desert. We were foreigners. We were without our land. And to remember that story and, and when U.S. immigrants, former immigrants, remember their story in the church and help them bring in people, it is just an incredible way of, of doing that. So right now, uh, that's what we've been doing. So those people, those 300,000 people are finding their way into our parishes, finding our way into our communities. And we're there the best we can 
uh, to help them. But I think that's the power of the church. And that's what makes it so exciting that it's the, the pastoral, the health and the social needs of people. And the schools, I know our Catholic schools have stepped up to the plate. Like, how do we help these people? Uh, knowing that it's just a different world and how we finance schools, but how do we do it? So it's just, I'm so proud of our Catholic institutions. They're just trying to figure out, hey, we are a place of immigration. We do this right. We know how to bring people into a place of safety, how to m- help them become Americans. And that's such great news. And how do we help them remain Catholic and become Catholic? That to right. me is the good news. Well, it's it's a beautiful story also of the effectiveness of the of the national, at the national level where you're at, partnering with the local agencies, partnering with the parishes and the Catholic schools, so that you're really all working seamlessly as one continuous team on, on the, working on the same effort. We tried. I know we tried. <laughs> Big job. <laughs> Big job, exactly. Yeah. So that's the immigration and refugee world. So, yes, it's I mean, so there's good, you know, so, yes, we're struggling with the numbers on both sides from the reduction of refugees and then with the increase of migrants. But the church is there. The church is very resilient. And as a, as a system within the church, as the charitable arm of the church, we're just so proud to have our 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 dioceses in partnership with us to help bring wholeness to all the community, to everyone. Sure. So, uh, Brian, we touched a little bit on Katrina and some of the disaster relief projects that Catholic Charities has has, uh, has worked on. What are some of the more recent uh, projects that you've been working on? What have you been able to c- accomplish with some of these recent disasters that we've seen in the news? Yeah. So, from so as you said, I started in 2014, and two years, two and a half years later, it was 2017, uh, and got blasted by uh, Irma, Maria, and Harvey. So oh that was my first time as executive vice president here in Catholic Charities of managing the disaster team, working with them very closely. So here again, we had you know Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, Florida, and Texas just totally impacted. So a couple of things. One was graciously, uh, Catholics and others of goodwill helped raise over 30 million, nearly $30 million here, gave us at Catholic Charities um, to distribute to those dioceses impacted just so those three storms. So that was incredible. Then there was a second collections that the U.S. bishops called um, for those three disasters, and that leveraged more money. So in all, we have, as a Catholic community, we have put $45 million in, to, in Texas, Florida, Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands in total. Wow. That's just private money. That's just private money um, to, for our Catholic Charities agencies to help families rebuild, to do some therapy, some case management, to help them with a long-term recovery. Then, as I mentioned earlier, because of Katrina, FEMA knew us. And because of our earlier contract we had, FEMA knew us. And so now we're one of the lead agencies with St. Vincent de Paul Society. Um, we're together working in uh, the Diocese of Beaumont, uh, Corpus Christi, and Houston-Galveston, where we have a large federal contract uh, with FEMA and are helping families uh, deal in those three areas of Texas uh, with reconstruction of their homes and reconstruction of their lives. And so we've been blessed to have that been recognized as a valued partner. And so we've, we've been working very closely there. Now we talk about, so Florida. So Florida had different issues and we were able to connect um, our institutions with proper government entities and other philanthropies and they've been working hard. Then we had uh, the hurricane that went through Panama City in Mexico City in um, uh, Mexico Beach, I'm sorry, in the Tallahassee area. Right. So that agency is working. They weren't they weren't ready for that one at all. So, and, and the good news is because of our network, because of our system, because of all the training we give people, they were ready and are, are responding. And again, you might not be there the first hour, but you're there the second hour um, and helping people uh, and getting through the long term. So our agency in Tallahassee uh, is working very closely with local agencies and partners with government to help rebuild people that have been devastated by that. Just recently, again, we had Hurricane Dorian. Remember the one that spun around the Bahamas for three days? Yeah. Well, so yes, so the Bahamas are an international community. So Catholic Relief Services did some direct work there. However, 1,500 Bahamians moved to to Florida without anything. Hmm. So our Catholic charities of um, Miami, Palm Beach and Orlando have stepped up 
And they, we raised some money for them, and they are helping those 1,500 families who lost everything but were able to get off the island. Um, we're helping them try to figure out what their next steps are, getting them stabilized so they can go back home. But our agencies are doing that right now. And that, and those are the big ones, Jim. I don't even talking about a tornado here, uh, a major windstorm there, flooding, flooding in South Dakota, flooding in Missouri, flooding in Iowa. Fires in California, both Southern California and Northern California. We are there raising money and our agencies are in the middle of it, working again with partners of the of local government and other nonprofits, trying to do their niche, what their role is. And they know that at the local level. We don't tell agencies what to do. They know their community and they take the leadership in what they know best about their community. But we've been supporting them. So disasters have been a major function of our work here in Catholic Charities. And then we bring that knowledge to the Capitol Hill and to the White House and talk about what's, what worked well, what did not work so well, and how do we change policy and how do we change funding sources. And many of our recommendations with other nonprofits are heard very closely and we work very closely with FEMA to make that happen. Well, Brian, you bring up a great point there. So um, obviously a very impressive amount of, of, of dollars donated from the private sector to fund Catholic charities um, operations around the country. But also uh, there is the public sector. There's the government funding. How has uh, how available have those funds been? Are there uh, more funds now or less funds now that you've seen in uh, over the last, say, 10 years? Um, I guess it comes and goes, Jim. So it depends on what, what you're looking at. So right. many of our nursing homes work with Medicare and Medicaid. That's one area of federal funding that has basically increased because of the cost of inflation um, and it increases in those benefits. So many Catholic Charities agencies run nursing homes. So that's how a lot of that's funded as well. We do a lot of work um, with HUD, Housing and Urban Development. So those numbers look big. A lot of zeros because when you do construction projects, as you can understand, you know, you build your house, it costs 100000 When you start building, you know, we start building 400 units, it start costing millions. So we work very closely with HUD um, and with local communities to, to figure out what's, what do we do for affordable housing? How can we package deals? How do we use private and f- governmental sources? So in general, probably a third of a typical Catholic Charities Agency, a typical Catholic Charities Agency. About a third would come from private sources. 25 to 30% might come from church donors. And then a third would come from state, local, and federal government. So in average, that's just a typical one. We have agencies all up. We have some agencies who receive uh, no federal or state government money. We have some agencies that 80% of their money comes from federal and state. Why? A lot of them do housing. And that's, like I said, it's big numbers, right? So it looks huge. So, uh, Brian, we talked a little bit about this uh, earlier, the fact that, um, you know, just because uh, we don't you don't serve folks because they're Catholic, you serve folks because uh, you're a Catholic organization, because that's our mission in the church. It's a very you say that on your website, actually, very articulately, we because we are Catholic. uh, It's a very powerful statement. How do you see that lived out uh, in the organization's mission today? Sure. So a couple of levels. One is I, tr- I tried to track down where that sentence came from, uh, that uh, we don't serve because you're Catholics, we serve because we're Catholic. It seems to have been ascribed to Cardinal James Hickey, the Archbishop Cardinal of Washington, D.C., when he was the ordinary of the archdiocese, who literally one day said in public, yeah, our Catholic charities agencies, we don't serve you because you're Catholic. We serve because we're Catholic. That's right. our mission. Uh, so if you look at this, <clears throat> this is an incredible paragraph in Deus Caritas S by Pope Benedict um, in, his, in his encyclical that literally says that there are three major elements of the church. One is to proclaim the good news. The second is to celebrate sacraments. And the third is to do service and love. And so we're the service and love part. So it's in, and he says they're inseparable. They're inseparable. Proclamation of the good news, celebration of the Eucharist and liturgies, and doing service are inseparable of the mission of the church. So it's part of our DNA that we are called upon to be of service to others, to bring the good news of Jesus Christ out into the streets, to reach out to those in need and to literally help people um, with their needs and face them where their needs are. And the Pope Francis has said, we're field hospitals. We're in the field. Um, And it's okay. We'll ask later some other things, and maybe we'll talk about other things later. But as the Pope said, sometimes when someone's bleeding, you just got to go out and reach them. And that's what we do. 
Um, and so that's the power of the church. Um, so I think, and many of our staff, some of them are Catholic, many of them are Catholic, many aren't. They share other religious traditions, but they know when they come to our for Catholic charities that we're a ministry of the church, we're called to go out and reach out, and they buy that mission. They understand that mission, and they proudly say, yeah, I might not be Catholic, but boy, you guys know how to serve people, and that's what I—that's what excites me about being with you. Um, it's been a very powerful experience for me when I've been working with a staff that aren't Catholic and will come up to me and say, you guys really understand the role of faith and living out your faith. And I think that, to me, is the testimony of the power of the church. And I'll go back to the Good Samaritan story. Yeah, some of us have to stop in the street. Some of us have to pick up someone, put bandage on their wounds, put them on our own donkey, bring them to a place. And the church is that place. Catholic Charities is that inn where we serve those who are hungry, thirsty, naked, in prison, sick. And we say, oh, there's Jesus. Let's take care of Jesus. Well, Brian, so you may not know this about me, but I'm actually, I'm taking a master's in theology course right now. And wow. I'm actually, uh, I'm writing my final paper at the end of the semester. And uh, my thesis is how uh, Pope Benedict's writings laid the foundation for the great work and ministry of Pope Francis's ministry in social justice and service to the poor. So I love the fact that you're quoting his encyclicals. It's like God's plan here. You're helping me write my, my term paper. Well, I hope you give me a footnote on your term paper. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to send it to you to prove it. <laughs> there you go. And Jim, I think, and, and what I usually and jokingly do when I give talks is I bring people back to Acts 4 and Acts 6. Acts 4, if you remember, is where... Um, the church said they said that you know people of faith brought sold some of their properties, brought the proceeds to the apostles, and the apostles distributed them according to need, right? And then two chapters later, there's a fight where the the Greek widows are saying, and the uh, Jewish widows are kind of having a little debate about who's getting more and who's getting less. And so the apostles stop and they say in, in Acts chapter six, we need to create deacons or diakonia for people to go and make sure that the Hebrew women and the Greek women are taken care of. That to me is the birth date of Catholic charities, the birth date. And so from the first century of the church, the apostles and the church knew how to bring together resources, right? And say, how do we distribute them? And yeah, there's going to be fights, disagreements. That's what chapter six is about. But the apostles said, no, no, no. Yeah, there are disagreements. So that structure, who we are to make sure that people are served. And it's called diaconia or deacons. But yep. in the essence, but the real essence of that was in the sense of that time period of making sure that people got their needs filled. And that so ministry I, belongs to all of us. And that ministry belongs to all of us. So we just happen to have institutions because the church loves institutions for all kinds of reasons. But we create these institutions to live beyond me, right? Uh, this institution existed way before me. And pray to God, it's going to long, last longer than me and you, right? And those institutions continue that DNA of that Acts chapter 6 of saying we will serve the the widows and the orphans and the aliens like we've been called to since the Hebrew prophets. Well, Brian, uh, kind of my last question here for you today, and this has been just incredibly informative and and fun uh, for me to learn more about uh, the, the national organization, but clearly leadership and Catholic identity are very important to Catholic charities. Uh, leadership development, you said during your talking points, is is a big uh, component of of. Of, for your staff and for your volunteers. Uh, it's obviously the leadership development that has happened for you personally uh, in your journey of Catholic Charities over the last you know, 30 years or so to where you're at today has played an important role in your own personal life. How do you see that playing out on the national level and, and with the local agencies? Sure. So we have a team of people here at the national headquarters who work with agencies. So an agency may call and need a talk. Like I just gave you a theological reflection. They may want us to go and do uh, some talks for their staff and board. So we have this ongoing process where we can send national staff or other staff to do that. But then, uh, but that's just kind of on the, like, um, you know, I need help right now making it happen in my diocese, which is great. But then every year we have uh, two leadership institutes that go on simultaneously leadership institute one and advanced leadership institute 
with Leadership One is we bring people who are working in Catholic charities. They may have only been working for a year, maybe two. Maybe they just got promoted and they're now a new manager. We bring them for a week in a retreat center and we engage them in thinking through what is the Catholic, what is the church's role in what is Catholic charities and what's its role in the church and how are you a leader in that? And then our advanced leadership team is for those who are in executive positions in an agency and they probe more how specifically they are leaders in the church proper and how, what do they do? So we have these two weeks that are in very intense um, helping build our leaders. And then we have our annual gathering where we bring people together from across the network every year. It'll be in Cleveland in 2020, where we have mo- a lot of our workshops uh, have a theological tinge to them or a mission, certainly a mission and values tinge um, and help people interact like, okay, how does my program how do I think through my program in the lens of our Catholic code of ethics, our Catholic teaching, and help people think through that? So it's ongoing. And then we, um, every Advent and every Lent, we have daily reflections. So we ask our 55,000 staff people who wants to write a reflection, and we help them write that reflection. And then we basically, um, uh, for those holy times of the year, the liturgical times of the year, send out blasts every single day reflecting on our mission and values and our services. And certainly, uh, just like we said at the top of the podcast, just that uh, continuing support, I'm sure, from that leadership community, from you, uh, continues in their ongoing development, their ongoing education as leaders uh, in your organization. Exactly. It's ongoing, totally ongoing. Well, Brian, uh, I really want to appreciate, I, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, I've learned so much about Catholic Charities. Uh, it's it's clear that you have you have a bit of a radio background because you're so articulate and, and so on point. I, I, I really, I, I enjoyed uh, getting to know you a little bit today. Well, same, same Jim. And uh, I appreciate it. You're taking the time to ask more about Catholic Charities and how we are as a movement, a ministry of the church and how um, people can connect with us and come visit our website at catholiccharitiesusa.org. And you can find a local agency right on screen, and you can also find ways that you can participate in either public policy advocacy or donation. And we're really helping to help people in any way they can and get them to the right place. And, you know, Brian, if there are other there are member organizations, member agencies or stories that are happening in Catholic Charities, we'd love to have them uh, on the show and learn more in depth about what's happening uh, around the country with with the organization. Fantastic. We'll, we'll, we'll keep in touch on that. And whatever topic you'd like us to talk about, we will find you the right people. Thanks so much. God bless. You too. Thanks a lot, Jim. And have a great day. I want to thank Brian for being on our show this week. And in a special way, thank you to Catholic Charities, not only the national organization, but all of the member agencies that are at the heart of our social ministry as a church. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and to Pottery Studios for their support of our show. Hey, if you're looking for a Christmas present for me this year, look no further. Leave Advancing Our Church a rating on iTunes. You can do it right away on the app or click on the iTunes link on our website. That small show of support goes a long way in spreading the word about our show. I really appreciate it. And if you'd like more information about our show, please visit our website at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for the past 20 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, have a great week, everybody, and thank you for Advancing Our Church. God bless. God bless.